0: This is Dollars and Change, a podcast about the intersection of business and social impact. Brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. Welcome to Dollars and Change. I'm Katherine Klein, Vice Dean for Social Impact at the Wharton School, and I'm delighted to chat today with Bart Houlihan, co-founder and uh, co-CEO of V-Lab Global. Uh, Bart, thank you for joining me today.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me, Catherine. It's good to see you again.
0: It's great to see you. So let's just jump into what the heck is B-Lab.
1: Sure. Uh, So B-Lab is a nonprofit that was started in 2006. In fact, we just had this month, our 15th anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, It both feels like a blink of an eye and an eternity at the same time, if if I was really honest about it. and the objective of uh, B-Lab has been pretty clear since inception. We're trying to build uh, an economy that will work for everybody, Catherine, one that is inclusive, equitable, and regenerative. And so that's been our core vision uh, for all 15 years. Uh, and uh, we're fundamentally, to get there, trying to build a movement, a movement of people using business as a force for good.
0: Um, so let's let's, before we dig into specifics, Let's let's talk about your origin story. How did you come to found B Lab? You had uh, founded and built uh, a company before B Lab, uh, and one. Um, so, so how did the shift come about that you said, "Yeah, we're ready to do this. It's a nonprofit to build a movement."
1: Yeah, so uh, there's three co-founders, and we all have slightly different uh, origin stories. I'll, I'll share mine. That uh, one of the other co-founders, Jay Cohen Gilbert. And I, along with a group of other folks, had uh, built an athletic footwear and apparel company over about 11 years, a company called And One Basketball. If you think about And One, it was kind of like Adidas or Reebok's basketball business on the side. So we were about as big as Adidas and Reebok. We grew it to about $250 million and sold it, Catherine, in 2005. Believe it or not, uh, And One was you know, a socially responsible business. We want to use those words describing ourselves back then, but we were just trying to build a company we were proud of. That meant, uh, you know, taking care of our employees and making sure they were centered in our work, uh, having an ethical supply chain, being in and of a local community, uh, having strong charitable giving practices, and certainly Uh, being more and more aware of our environmental footprint. And those values were really embedded in the business, Catherine, and what we saw over the course of the 11 years. So it turns out it's really easy to be socially responsible when there's seven of you. And it gets harder as you start to scale. We did a leverage recapitalization with a private equity firm uh, about seven years in. They were great investors, But we were no longer playing with our own money, right? Somebody had given us $30 million, and uh, we knew that we had a fiduciary duty. And then at the moment of liquidity, the moment it was time to sell the company, um, it became abundantly clear that our requirement by law was to maximize the return to our shareholders. Uh, And so as we had conversations in our boardroom, we couldn't even talk about the values that we had embedded in the company uh, due to our fiduciary duty. And though I bear no ill will to the gentleman who bought the company, he absolutely paid us fair price. Oh, I don't know, within six months of the sale, uh, he uh, stripped all of those values out of the business. You know, He fired our entire team. He eliminated our ethical supply chain. He got rid of all of our charitable giving practices and all of our environmental efforts. And it felt at the back end that there had to be a better way, right? There had to be a way you could scale, raise capital, and even have a liquidity event and hold on to the mission of the business. And so for me, that was the beginnings of the idea of B-Lab, a way to essentially build a business with mission and purpose at the center.
0: And how does B-Lab do it? What is your your mechanism of choice? Is it the certification process?
1: Partly, partly, you know, and so zooming back out to that vision, right, to try to build a more equitable, inclusive, and regenerative economy, the approach that we take is really quite simple. We begin by finding leaders, best-in-class companies whom, you are right, we indeed certify as B corporations. Uh, That certification is intended to manifest that which we're trying to create, right, the set of leaders who have determine that indeed you can both make money and make a difference at the same time. And if we shine a light on those leaders and tell their story and then give tools to others to follow, Catherine, we're trying to build this movement. And so the community of certified B corporations, there's about 4,000 certified B corporations, and they have inspired around another 160, 170,000 companies to use our tools to try to use their business as a force for good. And so that's at the highest level of the strategy, right? A demonstration effect by shining a light on leaders and giving tools for others to be more like a B corporation.
0: And I'm curious about the, the the decision to certify companies. You know, we it's sometimes likened to a good housekeeping seal of approval for people who, who remember that, that term. Um, But, you know, it is an evaluation of companies, companies go through this certification process, you ask them about all sorts of features of the the business, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. footprint, how they treat workers, but how they engage in the community and, and so on. But there were other strategies you could have chosen, right? You could have chosen, well, we'll be journalists and we'll, you know, we'll advance storytelling, um, you know, we'll bring people together for a workshops and we'll try to inspire with some CEOs, we'll try to inspire other CEOs. I don't know. We'll do board training. Um, what, what made you think certification was a key tool to achieve the ends you wanted
1: and has it been? Yeah. So I think certification was a, um, It is a means, not an end, right? And the means is intended to identify a leadership set, a leadership set that can inspire. And so the certification is just about trying to make sure people understand that these companies have indeed met the highest standards of social and environmental performance, that they've embedded in their legal uh, governance a, a commitment to stakeholders so they're legally accountable to consider stakeholders, and they're transparent. And and what's interesting, Catherine, is if you zoom back out about the certification, those three pillars, a set of standards that defines what's good enough, a legal framework that changes the governance structure of a business, so it must consider something beyond shareholder primacy and transparency. We think that those three elements are the necessary infrastructure to build that more equitable and inclusive economy. And we embedded all three in the actual certification. So that's why it's a means to an end, right? We can, we can point to these leaders, said they've taken and passed this set of standards that defines uh, a comprehensive approach to sustainability, that they have changed their legal framework. So they're required to consider their impact on all of their stakeholders. And they're sharing with the world not only their areas of excellence, but their areas for improvement. Mm-hmm. And those three pieces are the elements of infrastructure we think are necessary for that uh, economy of the future. Got it.
0: Uh, and it's it strikes me that you know when you started this 15 years ago, people were talking much less about greenwashing and impact washing uh, and you know different things companies may do to make. You know, in an effort to make consumers think that they are ethical, that they are good yes. for the world, that they treat workers well and so on. Um, but now people are talking about that a whole lot more. Do you see people turning to a you know, Corp certification as a way to say, no, 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 we're not greenwashing. We're not impact washing. This is the real thing.
1: Oh, without question. Without question. I think uh, the certification does a few things. Uh, it certainly provides evidence to stakeholders, that you're the real deal, and that you are uh, walking the talk, that you've uh, met those requirements to join this really um, exclusive community of leaders. And so we see people using it, I'd say first and foremost, Catherine, with their own teams. It is a way to attract and retain great talent, right? You've been telling Mm -hmm. your team for years that you indeed are a different type of business. You now have a third party validation that you've met this incredibly high standard. Uh, Certainly, we see people using it with consumers as consumers have migrated towards trying to buy uh, with their purchasing dollars more purpose-driven brands. Uh, But beyond that, we also see people use it with investors to try to make sure that they're aligning uh, their investors with the mission of the organization. Uh, It also has been quite useful, frankly, with Uh, policymakers, as companies that have talked about governmental contracts and how we can shift uh, government work towards a more inclusive economy. And so it's kind of a multi-stakeholder brand, and uh, it certainly provides validation for each of those different constituencies.
0: So talk with us about, um, you know, companies... People may have heard of, listeners may have heard of what kinds of companies, where in the world, what kinds of industries, what size, who is doing this, you know, going through this this B Corps certification and and passing the bar?
1: Well, perhaps what I am um, most proud of, of 15 years of work is the community and its diversity because you can now find certified B Corps in more than 70 countries, 150 different industries, they range from multi-billion-dollar multinationals down to sole proprietors, uh, and like to give you some examples, it includes uh, you know some of the leaders of the sustainability movement for the last 35 years, like a Patagonia or a Ben and Jerry's or a Cabot Creamery. But it also includes some new economy companies, uh, old school and Kickstarter. Uh, we see new unicorns like uh, Allbirds. Uh, But we also have companies in uh, Afghanistan, the largest cell phone provider in Afghanistan, Roshan is a certified B Corp. Natura Natura Cosmetics in Brazil, Uh which is one of the early social enterprises and has bought the Body Shop and Avon is a certified B Corporation. Tritos Bank, one of the founders of the Global Alliance for Banking Values out of Amsterdam, they're a certified B Corporation. we have really tried to find leaders in every industry and in every geography that are showing that there's a better way to do business to try to inspire this movement that everything hinges on having a community of leaders that are inspiring otherwise our other strategies to build the movement really won't have traction
0: and you talked about the legal framework so as i understand b certification is b certification is a certification that doesn't change your legal standing Um, So, you know, do I have this right? And when you talk about a legal framework, are you speaking about benefit corporations? How should we be thinking about the legal element
1: here? Sure, sure. And so it is, admittedly, it is confusing. We have a certification that's called Certified B Corporations, and then we have a legal framework called Benefit Corporation. Let's kind of take them individually. The certification, in fact, does, Catherine, have a legal requirement. All right? The easiest way to think about the certification, it's companies that have met an extremely high bar of social and environmental performance who have then built that performance to last by changing their legal governing documents so that they are accountable to all stakeholders, okay? They also have to be transparent, as we mentioned, with their overall performance. But those are the three requirements. Meet the bar through what we call our B-impact assessment. It's an online assessment that evaluates comprehensively your performance on five different areas, workers, environment, community, governance, and consumers. So first, you take and pass the test. And then that second requirement is once you provide evidence that you are really meeting this high bar, we got to make sure that that lasts, Catherine, that it's not another and one, right? Uh-huh. That you can count on the company to be able to maintain its commitment to this purpose. And every B Corps, no matter what the jurisdiction has to rewrite their corporate governing documents so that they are required to consider the impact of their decisions on all of their stakeholders. So that's that, that, that legal requirement. But here's how it, it it is we've learned over the years that in some jurisdictions you can't just cross out your old articles of incorporation and rewrite them Uh because it's against current corporate law. And so in some jurisdictions, we had to create a new legally recognized corporate form to allow a company to change its purpose and be accountable to considering the impact of their decisions on stakeholders. That is the benefit corporation form. And so we have, now passed in, I think, 43 states and eight countries, a new way to incorporate. And so, Catherine, the next company you start, you can choose between a traditional corporation, a nonprofit corporation, or a benefit corporation. And you don't have to do anything with me. Like, you go directly to the Secretary of State in Pennsylvania or in uh, Delaware, and you register your business as this new legally recognized corporate form that makes you accountable for making sure you are delivering a different kind of value, not just shareholder value, but stakeholder value. Got it.
0: So let's talk about uh, 2020, 2021. So, you know, obviously uh, super difficult. Crazy. <laughs> this, <you> know, <laughs> this, this time where the world has been upended by the pandemic. Um, and, uh, and I know you said when we talked uh, before that you thought You know, this was going to be really a difficult time for B Corps, difficult time for B Lab. What happened?
1: Yes, I I was terrified, Catherine, if I'm honest about it, right? Going in when the pandemic, uh, the magnitude of the devastation became clear to me somewhere around March, April of 2020 that we were in for a really difficult. 12 to 24 to whoever knows now, right, how long we're looking at this. But we're certainly looking at a tough 2020. And Catherine, like any responsible business leader, we uh, started started running our scenarios for planning for what could be, we thought, a pretty horrific collapse of our community. We thought that the pipeline for certification was going to dry up. And no new submissions were going to come in because companies were going to be focused on just keeping their doors open. And then we were also prepared for a 20 to 40% drop in the size of the community, that the community was going to suffer massive losses as people, again, chose to bank whatever capital they had to deal with the oncoming uh, economic devastation that we were all going to be confronting. Uh, and so we've Froze hires, you know, we cut $3 million from our budget. We prepared for just the shooter drop. And what was remarkable is it, it it never did. You know, for our movement, 2020 was our biggest year by orders of magnitude. And let me give you some like numbers. It, it it's quite remarkable when I look back on it. We had Since the beginning of 2020 till now, uh, there have been 70,000 companies that have registered to use our impact assessment, the B Impact Assessment, as a tool to measure, manage, and improve their performance, right? It's a free tool. Anybody can use it. And leading up to that, Catherine, we had maybe 90,000 companies already on the platform. We added it in 15 years time, right? In 18 months, we've added another 70,000. I just mentioned that we have 4,000 certified B Corps right all over the globe. In those 18 months, we had another 4,200 apply for certification. Just a massive surge of submissions. And what I find uh, perhaps most uh, compelling is at a moment when companies were failing at record rates, sadly, all over the globe, our community had the lowest attrition rate in the last five years. Our attrition rate was a little over 5%. It was uh, stunning. And, uh, you know, I've been asked uh, over and over again, appropriately, like, why? Yeah, why, exactly. why did you see <laughs> this enormous <humana laughs> wow, surge? Is that? Like, yes. that is the and, question. And, and, and I think, Catherine, there's a few things that, you know, we've both been watching for a while, because this isn't out of the blue, right? Like if we go back to 2019... There were some important cultural moments in this movement to use business as a force as a force for good. One of which was the Business Roundtable announcement uh-huh. in August 2019, when they indeed said that there's a new purpose for business and that they were going to lead their company for all stakeholders. The Business Roundtable is about 181 uh, American CEOs, but some of the largest companies in the world, right? Google and Amazon and GM. Uh, Jamie Dimon from JP Morgan, they all declared this new purpose for business. Now, without going too deep into whether we really need more proclamations right now, considering where the world is, it is a super important cultural moment when the leaders of the largest American companies declare there's a new purpose for business. That went forward to Davos at the end of the year when Davos came out with the new Davos Manifesto, where they declared uh, shareholder primacy and shareholder capitalism dead, and that we were moving on to stakeholder capitalism. That's now moving right into 2020. And so you already had this energy. And then in 2020, if there was ever a year for a proof point that we needed a different type of economy, it was 2020, right? right. Like, sadly, Catherine, we saw the pandemic just lay bare the inequities of our system, right? we It's a virus, for goodness sakes. It doesn't care who it attacks, but these uh, impacts were vastly disproportionately felt across the globe and still are. And so it was really clear that you had uh, massive disparities. Simultaneously, you had uh, calls for long overdue calls for racial equity Mm -hmm. also across the globe. And you put those two together and what we heard over and over and over again last year was that people were not looking to try to get back to normal coming out of a pandemic. They wanted a new normal, right? They it, we weren't trying just to get back to where we were because where we were created 2020. It created this enormous uh, disparity of impact from a virus, uh, and so it that energy. Uh, has really propelled the movement. And, and if I even go back to 2019, I, I should add like two other critical factors that led to the BRT announcement. Number one, the acceleration of wealth disparity. Yeah. Right? And so the truth is wealth disparity is not new. It's been around for millennia, right? But uh, sadly, it is truly accelerating. We went into 2019 where two thirds of the world's population had less than 3% of its assets. That's insane, right? That's just an insane number if you just pause and think about it. And also going into 2019, finally, business leaders globally were awakening to the existential business threat of climate change, right? Existential threats to their businesses through climate change. They were seeing it across the board. And so you put all this together, right? You have climate change, acceleration of wealth disparity, a global pandemic and calls for racial justice, and the end result is a unbelievable surge in interest of people trying to use business as a force for good.
0: Yeah, that's so hopeful. I don't, I don't know if uh, you know to what extent that story is known. I mean, you are, you are, you know, such a, an encouraging bellwether.
1: I hope so, Catherine. I, I hope it's predictive rather than a moment. Right? Like uh, I, I, I do think we're at an inflection point. Right. And, you know, I think you and I will look back a decade from now at this moment and say either this was the tipping point towards the stakeholder economy. Right. And this was the launch pad, or the, uh, the powers uh, that be of the embedded institutions that have lots to lose with that shift uh, thwarted you know, this amazing shift. I'm I'm optimistic, obviously. (laughs) I'm optimistic. This has been my life's work and and I'm optimistic about where we're headed. But I I do think that this is going to be a moment we'll look back on coming out of this pandemic as either the moment uh, when we, on all fronts, we addressed climate change with open eyes. We started to tackle some of the inequities that are born in our system. And we recognize that business had an enormous role to play in both creating those problems and solving them, or we we missed the moment,
0: right? Um, well, you know, I, I I share these hopes, but it's great to it's great to hear them. It's great to have them reinforced and, and you know get the your insights and analysis. Let me let me uh, wrap up with a with a couple of questions about um, kind of leadership lessons. I'm interested as you were. Let's let's focus first on building a movement. You know, what are you? There are not that many people who set out to build a movement. Um, and who you can talk with 15 years later and say, so what did you learn in this, in this time? And, you know, you seem to have contributed, for sure, to the building of this movement. So lessons learned.
1: Thank you. That's, that's generous. Um, and I'm, I'd importantly uh, point out that there's whole bodies of uh, research on how to build a movement. And so I'm, and I'm far from an expert. Uh, I think the one thing that's become clear to me, though, in the last 15 years is the need to let go. Uh, there was a moment uh, probably about 10 years ago when I realized that this was no longer ours. You know, it was theirs. And when I say theirs, I mean all of the community and teammates and people around the globe working towards building this movement. And so there was this recognition that we, if we were really going to See acceleration. You had to let go, but you had to let go away uh, in a way, Catherine, where you certainly uh, made sure that there were certain things that could kill you or or, were, were, were certainly controlled. And so anything that didn't kill you, you needed to let go of and make sure that you stayed really focused on the things that could absolutely... Uh, blow up a movement. And for us, that was about credibility, right? Mm-hmm. At the core, right? You, mm-hmm. Any significant mistake on the credibility, integrity, or rigor of our standards or our certification uh, could have uh, upended yeah.
0: Yeah. this
1: entire effort. And so that that remains like a core focus. We talk uh, all the time about scaling with integrity. That mm-hmm. That's like the the mantra at the organization: How do we scale with integrity? Uh, because you need a movement needs to scale, but at the center of this work is the idea of values. And if the values aren't embedded with integrity, rigor, and credibility, we have nothing. Right.
0: And then uh, leadership thoughts, leadership lessons from fifteen years of building this nonprofit. Um, you know, after after many years, I don't know exactly how many of building a for-profit, a very successful for-profit and one. So how do you think about things you've had to learn, things you've done well? So uh,
1: <laughs> um, I guess I would, uh, I, there, the difference between leading a for-profit and a nonprofit for me haven't been that significantly different. The critical a component for me of being a of being a good leader, or, or the leaders who inspire me, I should say, that I aspire to be, mm-hmm. uh, are leaders who have the humility to know what they do well and know what they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is extraordinarily rare to find businesses that have been successful built by one person. Sure. Right at the end of the day, this is a team sport, and I've been incredibly uh, fortunate both at and one where I work with an incredibly talented team and a, and a group of partners that started that organization and co-founders at B lab and the team that we've built around us. And then, you know, frankly, we now have offices in 33 countries and those offices, Catherine are uh, independent nonprofits, mm-hmm. right. That have their own leadership teams that recognize the realities on the ground in those markets You have to, like the height of hubris would have been these three Americans to say, let's go build a movement to use business as a force for good in uh, Paris. At the end of the day, you have to find people in Paris who understand, you know, local context and can drive this movement. And so for me, the the key is to know what you do well and what you don't and find great people uh, who complement you and make you better. Great. Bart, right, thank you so much for talking with us. It's you know always great to
0: catch up, and you know you've you've uh, as we as we struggle to know you know just how far are we ending the pandemic? Is the pandemic in the United States? What's going on around the world? Where are we in all these challenges? The climate challenges, you know, racial inequity. It is great to have some really hopeful signs that business is indeed stepping up. So thank you so much.
1: It's my pleasure, Catherine. Thanks for having me.
0: Dollars and Change is brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. To learn more, visit us at socialimpact.wharton.upenn.edu.